Welcome to Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed, your journey into discovering the amazing people and wonderful happenings in and around the Cothet region. Since her days as Powell River's first youth ambassador in 1994, Erin has continuously been involved in our community. Her love of the Cothet region and her understanding of the importance of connecting to the people living around you inspired this podcast. Coastal Currents is a no-holds-barred look at what's happening in our neighborhoods. But more importantly, it's about the people who live, work, and play here. Insightful interviews, frank conversations, and often hilarious discussions of issues, ideas, and people that matter to you. This is Coastal Currents. Here's Aaron. Welcome to Coastal Currents. I'm your host, Aaron Reed. Thank you for joining me for Season 1, Episode 7 with Ian McDonald. Ian is a self-described 17-year Cathet newbie. Originally from Hamilton, Ontario, Ian made his way to BC in the 80s and ended up in Squamish for a couple of decades. He, his wife, and daughter made the move to Powell River in 2005 after a Sunshine Coast vacation and an ice cream at the Beach Hut at Willington Beach. Thanks for joining me, Ian McDonald. Okay, thank, thank you. you for it. So we're going to start off with a quick game of this or that. So let's see what we get. Pause time or rewind time? Pause time. Loud neighbors or nosy neighbors? Ooh, ha, ah, my goodness, loud neighbors. <laughs> hand soap or hand sanitizer? Hand soap. That's kind of timely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Batman or Superman? Uh, Batman. Emails or conversations? Conversations. Air guitar or air drums? Air guitar. Weekends or holidays? Holidays. Android or iPhone? iPhone. Pen or pencil? Pencil. Okay, let's just do one more. Funny movie or dramatic movie? Funny movie. That was not too painful. (laughs) It wasn't too painful. Let's have a little chat about you. Okay. You're not a born and raised Powell River, right? Correct? I'm not a born and raised, no. So uh, whereabouts were you born and raised? I'm uh, I'm a Hamilton guy. Okay. So I, I moved west with my buddy in, in 1982, and we were going to go up north and make really good money and go overseas, and 82 was a recession. Oh. Yes. So the province was very crippled, and probably people that had an existing job wouldn't see it as much as people that were coming to town knew. So many older mentors were asking me, what am I doing out there? There's no work. And I said, well, it's just so beautiful. We, we landed in Squamish and they told us in Vancouver, don't go up north. They're barely eating. Uh, so you better stay close to the south, uh, south coast. So Squamish, I was there for uh, 23 years. What was it attra- that attracted you to Squamish as opposed to maybe the lower mainland or the Fraser Valley? Well, we always were nature lovers, my friends and I. And actually, the guy that I came out with has lived in Chicago for almost 30 years. <laughs> um, since there was no work, uh, there was five of us eventually that lived together in, in Squamish, and there was no work. So they went back, and I had the advantage of soccer. I played with, uh, with the Indian East Indian team there, so they looked after me very well to keep me in the town. Wow, that's nice. Yes. Soccer, I think, you know, you'd mentioned we had a little bit of a pre-conversation before right. we were talking on here. And so soccer is one sport, but it sounds like you might be more involved in a uh, few more. Yeah, I I was addicted to soccer. I played 33 years. And then I played for actually Dundas United, which is a very reputable Canadian club. And uh, we played Premier Division. And so at a very young age, you'd be playing some dif- different ethnic teams and they would be telling you that they're going to break your legs next time you touch the ball etc really yeah it was a lot of corruption in the ontario soccer league uh, very competitive a lot of people don't realize that um, a lot of the guys came over to play for their nationality and uh, sponsored by people on the clubs so they didn't really try out for the canadian team they they just played for Italia one or two or the Spanish team Portuguese every single nationality in southern Ontario and Hamilton played pretty good caliber especially if it's the premier but they just played and you know maybe they got a hundred dollars a game and a job and sponsored to come over to Canada uh, so there was a lot of those players but if you showed up to a 
Portuguese or Spanish home game and the refs over speaking their language with them, you know that he's going to uh, let them do two-legged tackles, etc. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, and there was there was a lot of publicity for the referees were being paid off. So that was something from the past because uh, it's really important to win. Right. You know, and then those teams, when they would win, then they have their national flag and the Argentinian flag, whatever it was. And yeah, so soccer was big. And then I moved to Squamish and it was like, oh, you know, we didn't have the caliber of soccer there. Um, we played in the, in the Vancouver League. And uh, so it was, uh, had to sort of let go of the competitive part of, the, of soccer. But, you know, some advantages, you know, going to tournaments, especially with the East Indians who went to lots of temples and... And, uh, you know, the experience there and, and stuff paid for and a job. So that helped. So what kind of work were you doing? Well, I used to be self-employed. Uh, so then uh, they first they, they said, uh, I, I told them I'm going to be leaving town if there's, no, if there's no work. And they said, well, you can, you can drive a taxi. And I go, well, I'm not driving a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have five workers when I was 19 as a contractor back east. I was doing quite well for a young guy. And, and uh, they said, oh, but we'll get Boggs Airport Taxi from Vancouver. You know, so I, I, just, I told them I'm not driving taxi. Anyways, they, they said, well, just until we get you in at the mill. So anyways, a, a Cadillac came up and and I was driving a Cadillac around in Squamish for a taxi until really? I got in at the mill and and then of course I got out of that uh, as soon as there was enough work and then I became a contractor in Squamish. Interesting. So you never really know what's going to happen and actually in in the 83 I I was in a truck and I broke my hands and got my legs ran over. Ooh. So what I did was I rode across Canada on my bicycle so <laughs> that I could get strength back in my arms. Okay. And, and uh, so you you turned the the disaster into something positive, and um, that time not many people in 1984 were riding across Canada on a bicycle, so it was it was good. Did you start from the west from coast Squam from Squamish, and then I was so the idea was to go to Ontario, but then I thought, well, I I made it to Ontario, I might as well go to to uh, St. John's, so I did that and. Yeah, I was in a couple newspapers and some interviews on the radio. But when you were in that world, you would see the odd long-distance cycler, like somebody from Montana, all chap-lipped and wrinkly, hot face, <laughs> you know, riding around collecting empties, and, you know. But uh, yeah, it was a very dangerous uh, time because the Trans-Canada was only one lane each way. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I got ran off the road there. And I uh, got a bad shoulder injury, so then it was either go back home and a failure, or ride by moonlight. So actually, I was doing uh, about 230 kilometers a day. Wow! And I would lift up my right arm and put it on the handlebars. It was very painful, but the moon was very bright and not much traffic, so you could make uh, better mileage. Wow, that's impressive. What was yeah. what would be the best thing you saw when you were? On that trip? Um, there was some humor. Often people would ask, like, are you taking pictures? You know, you're, <laughs> you're pumping, you're pumping on the pedals, like for the Rockies, you got plenty of time to look around. But uh, in those kind of trips, like I, I keep journals. So I have my journal and it's the only one that I rewrote because I did so much whining in my <laughs> original journal, a <laughs> uh, lot of pain. So I rewrote it and tried to pick out some some highlights but uh i had uh one time on the east coast i met a guy and uh at the stop and i was asking him how far to to the next town and i realized that you couldn't really go into a town or a campground because people would they passed you four times that day they're only doing 200 k's in their family car so everybody you know inviting you for breakfast and stuff like that so i i usually stayed on the side of the road so i could because you have to do about 12 hours a day um, to do that many kilometers every day, as average about 220 uh, for the trip. So, uh, anyways, I, uh, I was going along and and it was getting too dark, and I was thinking, well, should I just keep going a little bit further? And it was dark, so I started to go backwards on my pedals, and I scared a moose, and I could just see the silhouette of it, and it ran across, and it just crashed through the the bush on the other side, big trees, and and uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool, but there's so many stories on a on a trip like that. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool, but it must have been a little bit 
little bit scary in the um, You know, one of the things, uh, you know, it's quite a few years ago, 84, but, but uh, I wrote in my journal, I don't know at all verbatim, but uh, if I was a truck driver and my child was riding their bike, I'd find a way to either gear down or, or go around instead of laying on the horn. And it's very dangerous when a tractor trailer comes, you know, half a meter from you, it can suck you under or, or blow you off into the gravel. Right. Uh, so that's one thing that I wrote in my journal because I know that it's sympathized with the truck drivers, but uh, still they would find a way to move over if it was somebody they knew. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I try to downplay those sort of things because when you are on the road, you, you do meet people going from Calgary to Montreal which is a long haul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you do meet the odd person. So you just camp out on the side of the road, like in a, just a tent yeah. camping gear that you yeah. have with you? Yeah, and, and it was freezing cold in in Newfoundland. And uh, when you when the number one from Port of Basque, when you head north and then you start to turn east, there's a sign that says, uh, warning 200 kilometer wind zone. Ooh. Yeah. That so can't that's, be fun on a bike. <laughs> that's uh, the the hills are one thing, but it's the wind that's that's the problem. And so wind is supposed to be going west to east, but most generally it's a crosswind. I do have one last thing that was sort of a thrill and scary was when I got up to Rogers Pass. It's different now because Rogers Pass used to have a gas station and restaurant and that on the top of it. And a guy with a camper asked me if I wanted him to stay behind me to go down on the east side of the Rogers Pass. So I said, yeah, there's there's about six huts for the uh, avalanche care there. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, anyways, I took the middle of the lane and I just screamed through all those. And of course, I had a loaded, both bags were loaded. And, and uh, when I got to the bottom, he said I did 50 miles an hour. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, pretty exciting, but, wow. but also very scary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to wipe out yeah. when you're doing 50 no. miles an hour on a bike. No. <laughs> so that was just, you know, you get a, to be a, an adrenaline junkie. So from Squamish, the first time I went overseas was 86. And I've been to so many countries since. So it's good. But took a took a little while. You have to make it work. So how many places have you been? I've been, I think, 23 countries, but uh, my problem was I always said I won't go to another country, I won't repeat that country, and then it didn't work out like that. So I've been to China eight times, and and I've been to the Philippines about seven times, and Australia two times, and Thailand three times like that. So if you meet people and you make friends, and next thing you know, yeah, if you have a chance to pop by and, and... stay with your friends or something so yeah the idea of repeating a country when i was a newbie yeah i didn't see that happening but you know life changes and that's for the best reason though when you're making those connections and meeting people and and that's a reason to come back yes well it's pretty important like my wife doesn't think it makes much sense but it's it's nice to be connected to people from all different countries and sometimes they come here we've had People from all different countries, they don't come to Canada, they just come to Powell River and they're, if they're able to hike, you take them up the mountains and if they're not, then you take them on some, some casual excursions. So it's pretty good to stay connected and you don't know, you meet so many people all the time, you don't know who's going to be a connection down the road, right? Right. Where's been your favorite place to visit? There's so many reasons why some place, I like, I like historic things, so... So Egypt is very good for mm. for the historic stuff. Of course, China has so much. I I lived there for two years, but okay. I but I uh, also went to visit very often. So uh, it's so spread out, and probably for the new person for China, they might go too far. And if they're looking for history, just go from Beijing south, like maybe nip a little bit west of Xi'an. And then head over towards Shanghai. And there's so many small historic places there, you know, with the typical walls around it and so forth. Right. It's kind of nice if you read the Conqueror series about Genghis Khan and Kublai Khan. There's a six-book series. And and then you walk around Inchuan and Ningxia, where those guys went. And there's not any people. And you're by yourself in the mountains. It's kind of cool. So you did that, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I was going to say, you know, there's always lots to say, but there's, there's a distinct difference between a traveler and a, and a tourist. Right. And I figure maybe 80 to 90% of the people are tourists and it makes a lot of sense. You go to the one place 
and uh, you know you relax they know your name you know you know the food's good and, and so forth but travelers we intentionally put ourselves through a lot of hardship you know whether it's to get up to the mountain or or to find a place people don't speak english or it's dangerous or or whatever so my wife is uh a couple times she's met me and she'll say daddy remember i'm not going there to follow you up the mountain you know she wants to relax she wants to be a tourist that's it that would be me too yeah. what gives you that drive to be a traveler versus a tourist well of course it's very addictive and then it's very selfish you leave everybody behind sometimes it's your two dogs for a year i've been several times for a year left my dogs or left my daughter and you just do video chats or, or whatever but uh so it's it's very very selfish um and then of course the adrenaline which i passed on to my daughter she's had so many adventures and it's um now she's addicted so she's seeking them out herself She's had an amazing life from Powell River, so much traveling, so many wild experiences, like incredible. So she's addicted. So she's in big trouble for the rest of her life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I guess you always say it can stop today and I'll be fine. Um, but that's not really true. You want to keep, keep going if you, if you can. It actually, you know, when you talk about that, it reminds me of a commercial I've seen recently mm -hmm. where it says, you'll never regret the things you never bought. You'll regret the places you never went. Right, right. So that's what comes to mind for me when you're, when you're saying that. So I don't, don't think it's something to regret that she caught that bug from you for sure. So lucky for you, you're younger than I am. And, uh, you know, there was always this uh, live for today, but plan for tomorrow. And, uh, you know, my dad worked at Procter & Gamble. It was an incredible company for, for factory workers. So full optical, full dental, profit sharing, diamonds every, you know, 10 years and, and bonuses, etc. So he thought that was real ideal for me. But I was thinking, wow, punching a clock somewhere. Like, it's just, no, thank you. It's not for everyone, right? No. I mean, there's some people where that's exactly their comfort zone and where they want to be in life. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that just have to go, go, go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that brought you to Powell River from Squamish? Well, we um, we did some camping. Uh, we did one camping trip. We went up the top of the Ashloo with my friend from Coquitlam, my, my wife's friend from Coquitlam. And as I was showing her, this is black bear poo, this is grizzly bear poo. And uh, so she didn't sleep very well um, <laughs> up, up in the mountains there. So then I thought, okay, the next year we, we will go up north. And uh, we did uh, almost 7,000 kilometers every day I packed up and we moved on. So my wife said, next year I want to just stay somewhere local. So there used to be a place close to Madeira Park. Uh, it's closed down now, but they used to have cabins right in a tight, windy section there. There was a, a right turn as you go south. And, and uh, anyways, we stayed there and uh, we did a day trip up up here and my my daughter was sleeping she was about two and a half and uh wife and i had an ice cream at willington and and then we decided we we should move wow yeah so everything's spontaneous and prior to covid the mm. life was like that very spontaneous uh it's kind of nice not to really know what you're doing next week so we that's what we ended up moving here and my wife works at the hospital so that gives uh a lot of flexibility. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. So does your wife like to fly by the seat of her pants like you do? Or? Uh, no, no? I'm, I'm a pack on the night before I go, and she's a lay everything out a month before, change a little bit of this, change a little bit of that. And uh, thank goodness she's like that because her job at the hospital, she's got to be very organized. And uh, yeah, so guys, I think are a little bit, uh, maybe I'll say irresponsible. <laughs> Right. I think it's a personality thing because I know that's how it works with my husband and I. He'll just pick up and go and, and I'll say, well, did you think about food or snacks, drinks, change right. of clothes, any of that stuff? And he's like, nope, didn't think about it <laughs> until he needs it. But I do know another couple that's the polar opposite of us. So the the wife is kind of the fly by the seat of her pants and the husband's the planner. But it, it seems like it's a personality thing, and I feel like it works really well for couples to complement each other that way. But it's nice to it's nice to be freewheeling. But sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it bites you in the butt. Right. <laughs> 
was going to ask you maybe to do comparisons to or polar opposite comparisons to Power River to places that you've been. One thing, one thing that's similar is uh, when you're going down a dead end street somewhere or you're the foreigner somewhere, uh, everybody notices. Everybody wants to ask questions, but that's short lived. And then they have to live with you or live without you or whatever, if you depend on what neighborhood you're in. But uh, probably if you're in some of the African countries, you attract a lot of attention, you know, from apartment buildings. Everybody sees you when you're walking along. So in there, I think how I handle those situations is I will stay in a local hotel with the local people. And then that way you can fit in as much as possible. But um, here uh, we are sort of the end of the road. And depending on which end you start, the start of the road or the end of the road. Right. Uh, so I think a lot of people are sort of curious. And then, and then uh, you know, maybe something will work from there. I don't know. When you, like I volunteer in different countries, so uh, I can't be going there thinking I'm going to change things. Right. Yeah. So also when you come here, maybe improve is a bit better word but to change uh it's not fair for for people to really change uh, what's been going on for a long time right right and uh you know if you can find people that are like-minded then okay and of course if it gets a little political people like to think that they want to change stuff right but really when you when you arrive somewhere you're not supposed to really change stuff uh <laughs> even though you want to right for, for some things right yeah yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think that that's uh, uh, one of the similarities. Uh, Squamish uh, in 1982 was really a small town. A lot of the locals never went into Vancouver. Even the rec center and all the soccer fields got funded by the provincial government uh, because it qualified as a northern territory. So they never went in. Some people, but uh, a lot of people never went in. So anyways, that's that's a place where if you come in with different experience and stuff that you used to do so often, or if you play pretty good caliber sports and then you come to a one school town, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite quite an adjustment. A lot of people like to compare. And, and so we can compare. There's beautiful places. A lot of people say, well, this is the most beautiful place. But of course, if you like beach, there's so many beautiful countries, like incredible. The world is filled with nice places and so it's it is very very nice here so hence i like i live in the back country as much as possible it's uh i feel very fortunate for that and then when people do come of course you want to show off uh, the nice places so we're pretty spoiled that way and not spoiled if you want to go into vancouver and you know, <laughs> drive around and then catch the ferry the ferry back right make your day long trip or yeah sometimes too yes yes yeah when was it that you did move here from Squamish? It was in 2005. 2005. Okay. So my, my daughter was three. Okay. That we waited for her third birthday. She had a, a couple of daycare friends and let her celebrate with her friends. And we moved right up the road from you. Yeah, very close to here. <laughs> that was uh, the first place we lived. We stayed there for two years. And then we, I built a house by the school board. Okay. So I, that was another crazy thing. I did two years, 500 and something days straight or 12 hour days. And the only thing that I didn't do was the drywall. Wow. That's uh, impressive. Well, and a little crazy. I think people would drive by and see if that wacko guy is up there with a <laughs> nightlight on his head and the, the wind's blowing. You're just trying to get some more shingles on or, or whatever. But yeah, that was a very, very tough job. Uh, but uh, a life experience, right? Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, yeah, I built my house, uh, but maybe they were a general contractor or, or helped out or something. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy undertaking. And, uh, of course, a, a big place on a slope hill. Everything had to be carried up and up and down. And, wow. yeah, so we, we downsized uh, for about four years ago. It was crazy cleaning. It yeah. was like 5,300 square feet and yeah ridiculous uh, for priorities change and and then now we're i guess our sort of forever home whereabouts is that located we're we're up on the georgia crescent area oh okay yeah yeah so it's a it's not too bad up there very close to the airport <laughs> <laughs> oh the airport yeah. we were just there on the weekend dropping our billet off for his his flight back to ontario right and looking at 
the logging that's happened and thinking, I can see why people in behind there might be a little bit upset about losing those trees. Well, there was a there was a follow up field, and he was so optimistic because he was a forestry worker. Mm. <laughs> of course, he was. Yeah, so he was like, "Wow, yeah, it's a saves for fires or whatever." But yeah, a lot of forest about about two hundred logging truck loads probably got out of there. You know, I guess I could say, you know, yeah, you, you have to support forestry like if you're in these towns and and squamish you had to at least be in the middle so not be a granola cruncher protesting up in the upper squamish but not love to hear people talk about taking down a 16 foot cedar right and of course people will say oh well you know it was probably punky rotted out or something like that but we're talking uh nice specimens um so somewhere in the middle yeah so i think I think if I was in the government, uh, when there was a lot of anti-clear cut going on and Europeans were getting upset of, uh, about Canadians, uh, they should have countered that with uh, showing some nicely replanted areas. Like if you if you go up Tin Hat, you know, it's all rejuvenated. There's, they're coming up everywhere. And, it's, and uh, so pretty soon that, that will be nice. Sure, when you get up there, you know, it's not the most attractive clear cuts. Yeah. Yeah, but if you, if you see some well replanted, areas you know it's it's good it's part of forestry right and it's a and it's a farm not that there's not mistakes you know getting those last few trees in a in an area that's prone to natural sliding there's all these errors there's a lot of anti-logging people but it's done properly and replanted and i think that's the key and it's all about balance to me it's more about making sure things are done right yes rather than just not done at all right yeah yeah there's there's quite a few uh people on the there's the logging anti-logging people and there's the pesticide herbicide people and you know those those are good warranted concerns right and you just hope of course we have access to so much of the back country from the forestry roads so that part's pretty good yeah um i think that quite a few people the last couple of years have spent like they're taking a lot of forest out of there mm-hmm. uh, you know all the, the goat main duck main there's a, a lot of trees coming out so i just hope you know I've, I've talked with the young lady at western forest products and you know she said that they've you know they're really on schedule for the replanting and and so just gotta hopefully trust that good. it's a sour topic for some people it is i think for myself i mean i i come from family big into logging through early years and my brother-in-law's a logger but i think my frustration more is when areas aren't cleaned up you know so they've done a good job locally with mitigating penticton trails Mm -hmm. recently Mm -hmm. for myself personally it's when you drive by an area that's been cut and maybe been replanted but they've left a lot of shrapnel forest fire prone shrapnel right that's the part that's always makes me a little bit edgy. Well, I would like to see them. Of course, it's not it's not forgiving on your saw, but I'd I'd like to see them let some people go in for those stump piles, and if they want to scrounge firewood out of there, and like I said, your chain wouldn't last very long in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know uh, what it would be for liability. Um, but it's nice if people can can pick it up. There's um, a couple of people use the dog park where they try for their their uh, permits for the trees and sometimes they're sent all the way up to Frida Lake. Yeah. It's a long haul to to get a, a small truck load of firewood. And that's what I've been hearing from more people is, yeah, you can go get the permit and go get your own wood, but they've made it so difficult now with where you have to go to get it. Mm-hmm. Just people can't can't do it. Yeah. So, well, you know, we're, we're a fairly clicky town mm-hmm. um, and uh, that also goes to the firewood. Um, when they take down the alders along, along the duck main or whatever, then you see that the people that got the first phone calls, mm-hmm. the friends of or whatever, then they're in there. And, uh, you know, I guess as long as it's being used, but there's, there's people on a fixed income that are wanting to make some, a little bit of money off of, off of that. So right. that would be a good, good thing. So somehow we got into the logging, but, yeah. but uh, <laughs> we are, it is a logging community. It is for sure. Yeah. Has been for, I mean, that's what it's built on. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite thing about Powell River? You know, I think I think a lot of people don't know, like I've done a lot of years with children. I've got an awesome, my friends moved two houses down and they have a five-year-old. You know, that's pretty good. And uh, anytime that you can sort of be around the kids. And uh, it was good. My daughter's a 2002 baby. So then through helping with the volleyball, et cetera, then you could get to know the kids 
a year younger, the kids a year older, and plus the kids in the same grade. Right. And I never go by them without saying something. Uh, try to keep a connection going. And uh, so it's important that, that we have the kids. And, and of course, hopefully there's some future. And maybe the same as my dad thought it was great to work at Procter & Gamble. Then here, people thought it was great to get a job at the mill. Yeah. And uh, so I think when when uh, a lot of the retirees move here, of course, they need services. Yeah. So we really need to to rely on the young people, unfortunately, for them, maybe. So it's it's nice. Uh, any area that you're in, if there's children, uh, it's it's nice. Right. You, know, you can make some some kind of connection with them. So so that part's always good. And of course, for nature, because I'm a hiker. Right. And, and we do kayaking, etc. So it's pretty good. I'm at I'm at 35 lakes. You know, we have about 60 lakes. Um, not so easy to get to some of them. <laughs> I have about five that are very accessible that have put me to 40. Wow. Um, so there's that, and then I think um, maybe on my last days on Earth, I'll I just won't come home from a hike. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, and that'll be it. So, not for quite a while. Yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so good for the family though. They never want that. No, no, that uh, disappear and not come back thing. It's nice to do uh, stuff that you that you like, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, um, I'm so happy that there's new people, you know, discovering the the place, and not to be overran, but. Of course, we need taxpayers for one, yeah. And then people living here by choice makes a huge difference in in every community. Is people moving somewhere by choice, right? And so we're sort of lucky, you know. If you look at the Sunshine Coast Trail or or any of the hiking, there's a a lot of uh, people from Europe or whatever, and you know they might be just here putting very little into the economy. You know, get a bunch of granola bars and apples at Save On, and and just be in the bush, but they might move here. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and pay tax. So. Or come on vacation all the time, and that's it. Yeah. Well, many many of the people that I've met, they they came here for fifteen years on vacation, and wow, and uh, now <laughs> they're living here. So yes, yeah, pretty. I think that part's pretty good. Um, but you have to be, I'm, I'm sort of in the mindset that we share the world, right? And of course, the maybe a problem with a small place is you meet somebody, but you get to know something that you don't like about them. And then that maybe becomes your focus right. on that person. So, you know, I don't get along with everybody, but my dad always taught me we're not made to get along with everyone. Yeah. You know, so all you can do is try, you know, and try to be sociable or whatever. And uh, there is a little bit of an adjustment, like if you've been to Disney World, Disneyland, you know, Knott's Berry Farm, and it's hard to get excited about the little fair at the <laughs> by Willington Beach. <laughs> but it's great for the small kids, you know, yeah. if that's if that's what they know. It's yeah. it's pretty good, right? And we actually missed that small fair because we haven't had it for quite some yes. time. So yeah. it was good. It was yeah. good for the town. Yeah, sea fairs, sea fairs were amazing. Yeah. Um, what would you say would be your least favorite thing about Powell River? Um, well, for sure, this is 100% the, the clicky part. Yeah. Um, I think we're sort of not not giving people the opportunity to to show themselves. And, and uh, you know, there's quality people everywhere. So I'm... I'm really impressed by not just education, but people with experience that have moved here. And, um, you know, say I have, I have like book loads of, of travel stories, but I know so many travelers that are, have been to so many places and wild experiences. Um, but here it's not just education, right? It's, it's, uh, what they have to, to bring to the community. Right. And uh, I think that we should be taking advantage of that. And then not to get into politics, because I'm, I'm quite politically active on the social media, but I think that we, we have to utilize the volunteers 
you know, try to get people involved and not the same, same crowd, try to get some people involved and, and they can bring some of their expertise. Uh, so meeting new people for us newbies, cause I'm a, I'm a almost 17 year newbie. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really good. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think myself. And then of course, what's also been encouraging is, is, uh, seeing the schools like James Thompson, where there's, there's like a lot of classes are 50% new parents. And then those long time local grandchildren or great grandchildren are meeting the new people. And, you know, when my daughter's uh, housemate, my daughter's going to McMaster and, and her housemate, she's got one from Zimbabwe, one from Belgium. They pick those people on purpose. Really? Yeah. So many, so many people looking for rooms. And she wanted diversity. And so that there's people from all different experiences. They're just like sisters. They get along so well. Oh, that's awesome. So if you if you go to places, like I often go to Hamilton, my family's there. And, and if you go by a Hamilton housing place, you see all the mixed culture children all playing together outside. There is no drama. It's uh, That comes with the adults and, and, oh, yeah. and maybe the teenagers. So it's pretty nice to see children of mixed nationalities all playing. It, it is something that I found spending my younger years here frustrating is the lack of diversity that mm. there is in town. But it's also something that I celebrate with the international program that's in our, in our schools, especially at Brooks. Mm -hmm. And I know my own kids are even right now really benefiting from that. Right. Because they've made friends, you know, from other places. And my daughter's trying to learn German and, it's just, uh, it's great to see that exposure and meeting new people and, and learning that because you're right, nobody's born with racism. Right. Children don't see that. They just see another person and, yeah. Well, I had, I had a, for instance, um, of course, I'm, I'm not pro-Chinese government or big business and I know quite a bit about it and I'm connected to a lot of people. Uh, so I, I'm pretty anti the government. Yeah. Um, but when you see the regular folk, um, there was one, her name was Tianyu, and uh, I met her in, in a small city in China of about 5 million. And uh, so she said, oh, oh, hello, how are you? I saw her at the market. And then uh, I saw her another time at the market and she loved English. So I met her dad and her and I would meet sometimes at the park when I wasn't busy. And then we kept in touch by Skype. And then her dad asked, uh, how much would it cost for her to come to Canada? So I forwarded the, the school district 47 information. And so she came to Powell River and she stayed with us for a year. So oh, cool. I met her when she was 14 and we had no idea she was going to come over to Powell River. So I told her we go to the international dinners. And I said, if you call me homestay dad, <laughs> you know. And we're very close. Uh, she did five years at, at UVic, and then with COVID, she had a problem with her visa. Oh. Uh, so she had to go back to China, and now she's got a job in Hangzhou. But, you know, when she was here, her own idea, she volunteered at the SPCA, and uh, so many dog walkers, but people don't want to clean the cages, etc. So that's what she did every Saturday. And uh, also her and I would go to the ECU. She was an incredible piano player. Oh, wow. Um, so we would do that. So that's her own willingness. She wasn't, you know, so pretty, pretty good person to, yeah. you know, to come, to come into town and, and it didn't quite work, but she lived here a year. So, so these are these international students that we see at, at Brooks. Um, yeah. Not so often there's the same connection, but, but if you give them a chance. And I think that the town has been uh, quite positive when Camber College was, was uh, busy. That was prior to many Asians going to Brooks. Right. Um, when we first moved here, of course, people would see uh, an Asian person and they would guess Camber College. And uh, a lot of times their friend would be getting a little bit of money for, for homestays from Camber College. And people were very friendly. And most all the international students that are at Camber College still say that everybody says hi to them because they identify them as you know, a moneymaker, you know, they eat out, you know, it's a very, yeah. it's, if there's something that we should support, it would be that Cambridge College, because they used to have sometimes up to 50 uh, students when it was busy. And then of course they got hit hard with the COVID. 
Yeah. But those people putting a lot of money um, to dinners and souvenirs, and then if a, if as a widow could have three of them, and then she'd make the dinner and she'd make a bit of money enough, enough to survive. Uh, so pretty good. And and I don't know why that the town was was really accepting of those Cambridge students because. Even when we moved here the first five years, you would look and you go, oh, that's a Cambridge student because we didn't really have a whole bunch of international students at the high school at that time. Right. So it was, uh, that was pretty good. And I wish that it would have kept going because yeah. they, they eat out a lot. So they, <laughs> right? That's yeah. part of their, their thing. Well, and education is clean industry too. Mm. And it provides jobs, provides good jobs. So it's it's definitely something that should be explored a little bit further. Yeah. Well, sure. a lot of times, of course, they they would be city girls or city guys. So if you're from Seoul or or from from Japan, so Tokyo or something, you you come here and yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not really. I actually tutored a couple of uh, Korean sisters, twins, and uh, oh, I did my best to take them out. The, the the most I could do with them is like, okay, let's pack up a ginger ale and we'll park at Duck Lake. <laughs> And we we'll just talk in the vehicle, you know. Uh, now they're going to McGill in in uh, Montreal. Wow. Um, but both of those sets, amazing parents. Like for TNU's dad, uh, give her the reins of her own life from twelve years old, and she made all the all the good decisions and and oh. put a lot of trust in in her, and and it worked out really well. So it's wow. kind of good parenting. Braver than me. Yes. <laughs> should we talk about uh i have a i have a couple of travel stories sure let's hear them i like stories okay um so i think i told you in the email i i i thought that i was going to do about three to four hundred travel blogs and i got to about 70 and it's quite a bit of work with the pictures and you know you pull out the info out of your journals or something so um anyways i do have uh i todd mac dot blog blogspot.com so if anybody's uh, bored and they want to <laughs> read uh so the one time there's um i'm not sure if you know there's a, a southern province is hainan and it's uh east of of the top of vietnam okay. so it's the only tropical province in china is hainan so uh anyways i went down there uh there's so many stories just getting to that one like the bus driver falling asleep in a sleeper bus no and, way yeah and the and and uh weaving going off the road and the assistant driver sleeping everybody smoking on the enclosed in bus and Gross. yeah and uh, then you watch them at Haikau is the capital of that province and you watch them uh backing a truck up into the ferry and there's a berth a steel berth up above well the workers are supposed to be watching but they discovered that they can steal the chickens out of the chicken crates in the truck so they're all over there with plastic bags no <laughs> nobody's watching as the truck smashes into the steel so that was a a four-hour delay on the on the ferry crossing but so i met my my friend in sanya that's the the beach area in the south of the island so i met her and her family and then uh had dinner etc and then the next day we we're going to meet on this beach so i got there about two hours early so i called her and i said oh i'm at such and such a beach and it looked beautiful she says oh that one's so dirty and i said but it looks really nice about 20 minutes later there was a big thunderstorm and then all of the sewage water oh. come down the main drag and of course it all goes down into that sand and Gross. so she she told me the bus to go over to another beach and when i got there i started to walk around the coast and it was coral so if you've done soccer for 33 years you have to be careful how you're walking and so i had my head down and followed the coast around and then the waves were coming in so once i got to a spot where it was too high to come in i thought oh man i still got an hour and a half before she arrived so I climbed up the cliff. So I got about halfway up and I was on a little platform. I'm using the cracks to for pressure points to, to get up to a little platform. And I, I reached up to grab a tree and felt kind of strong, felt strong enough. So as I jumped up and I put my other hand overhand, hundreds of red bull ants fell on me all over my body. Oh. And uh, they bite, you know, quite a bite they have on them. So I made my way down to that 
little platform and I stripped everything off and you can't do it quick enough because they've got aggressive bites on them. Uh -huh. So uh, it's hard to go down when you go up uh, 100, 150 meters. It's quite dangerous to go back down. So I found another crack and as I ended up getting up to the top of, of it, it was a military mountain. <laughs> so there's no option of going down. Like I said, 100 to 150 meters as too too dangerous to go down. So these uh, soldiers were all really happy to see me like, oh, you know, they had a little bit of baby English. And uh, so they took me over to a, a room and give me some water and they were kind of egging each other on like who's going to talk to the foreigner or whatever. <laughs> and so then their boss came. He just lost it when he saw me. He was screaming in, in Chinese and uh, he come in, he grabbed my phone and my camera took the batteries out and the and the camera cards and and i'm saying to him like look what's going on here uh so anyways i sat in that room for two two to three hours and then all these big cars showed up and it was all of these commanders there was the the naval base around the corner from that military mountain and all of these big shots came up and there was so much yelling and screaming and they kept looking over at the at the the door so there was a guy had a little bit better English. He said, we're just waiting for the Secret Service translators to come up. In the end, it's a, a long day, but that was nine hours. They they thought I was a spy. Right, that's what I was thinking. And they probably thought, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. so so the, the fellow, the translator was uh, about late 20s. And uh, he asked me, how did you get up here? And I could see that the the commanding officer was screaming at him to and looking at me, how did you get up here? And I said, well, I came up over there. So they got me to walk over. They didn't believe me. I said, you have guards over there at that gate. So there was guards at the bottom of the gate and guards at the top of the gate and just cliff. So I said, like, you have English, you know, the Western people love rock climbing and stuff. And I lived in Squamish 23 years. We did a lot of free climb stuff. Anyways, they didn't believe me. So what they did was they blindfolded me, put me in the vehicle, drove me down. And what we did was we went around that beach and then we got out. They wanted me to show them where I went up from there. And of course, like I said, it was a coral beach. So you have to watch your footing. Actually, in the long grass, about maybe 20 meters away, there was a big sign in Russian, English, and Chinese, absolutely no admission Chinese military installation. Oh. So up on the mountain, they thought that that sign was still standing. Yeah. And, and so then that would have been jail time. So it wasn't still standing. It had, it had chrome posts and, and it had fallen down in the, in the grass. So I figured, I, I said to the guy, look, they, they got me to look at the sign. I said, look, I'm walking over here with my head down and this sign is in the grass there. So I thought that it was done. It wasn't done. We, we went to the hotel where I stayed. They blocked the whole sidewalk with the vehicles, cleared everybody out of the ninth floor and then went in and got my backpack. And uh, yeah, it was really like I was like it was a risk. So then I said to him, well, my wife and daughter came over and we did Inner Mongolia, Xi'an and Shanghai Expo like that. And, and I said, well, when my wife and daughter was here, your wife and daughter, what did you tell them? <laughs> it, uh, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, because this guy's English was pretty good. Yeah. And, and uh, I said, we, we have a baby military, like I could care less about the military and stuff. So of course, my poor friend, not only did she not get lunch, <laughs> they found out who she was oh, and no. they interrogated her and find out what our connection was and and that and uh, anyway so in the end they did a big document in chinese and they wanted my thumbprint and ink on on it so as the translator said uh, okay you willingly entered a chinese military installation then i said that had no sign and then and then he said yes or no you entered a chinese military installation the only positive i got out of that was I said to him, look, I have so many pictures on that camera card, you know, and uh, so they went down to a shop and I went, I went out, it was a huge crowd on the sidewalk. It was like a, some mass murder or something. They had it all blocked off with the, with the vehicles. We went into the shop and then the, the head officer told the guy what to take off and what not to take off any photos I took from the cliff. And then I got a, a new camera card. Wow. That's crazy. And I got maybe two days later, I went to an internet cafe and, and my wife sent a message. She said, Daddy, be careful. But uh, there's lots of those kind of stories if you're a traveler. Could wow. be people get on a bus with guns. 
and take people off and beat them or, or whatever. So it's pretty relaxing in Powell River. Yeah, I'm happy to be a tourist. <laughs> I'm comfortable in the tourist land. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stick to that from the traveler part. Yeah, you can't take out the camera. That's why... I would suggest anybody that wants to travel, and I, like my daughter, I call her my monkey. I tried to get my monkey, thank goodness, log stuff. Don't make the mistake of saying, you know, I'm never going to forget this, because it's not true when you amass so many adventures. Right. So the journal is a big part of the traveler. What you learn, who you meet, what you do, etc., like that. Example, the one time I was... I was in Laos and there was a small girl and her dad and she was helping him with the finish with the fishing net and the background was so perfect I thought this is like going to be a really good picture and I sort of came up and I was sort of tiptoeing and I was going to take a picture and when she looked at me there was so many things in her face she wasn't happy not with me just the life so sad and a lot of the women in in laos very beautiful but they carry water mm. they carry the baby on the back with the with the water up the mountains to water the garden so they're young pretty but hard hard life it's all on the face right so when you see this girl with so many different looks on the face so of course you can't take a picture and one time I was in Papua New Guinea and there was a lady feeding a human baby on one breast and a piglet on the other breast. For real? Yeah. So <laughs> that's so, new. Well, it's, it's <laughs> for actually, me, that's new. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's actually not that new because when I shared that story with some friends, there was actually some exposure about not the same lady. Yeah. Um, but the you imagine a, a female piglet is so important. So something happens to the sow <laughs> and then that that piglet will will generate so many offspring and you know and it would just keep going and going like that so that's how important it was and maybe a year or so after Papua New Guinea there was an article like National Geographic or whatever about that but you're not going to take a camera yeah. and go like hey in case my friends don't believe me um, yeah. but it makes a lot of sense yeah. you, you know it's the because the cultures are so different but that's their their mainstay, imagine how many piglets that that female pig could be involved in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so wow. so very important. When you do the traveling, there's so many stories, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's why, like I, like I said, I always suggest to people, if your young kids are going to experience, even they go to camp, to Girl Scout camp or something, write it down, you know, so that you've got that record because there's no way you can keep it all straightened. And of course, when you get a little bit older, you could always just read your journals and go like really wow i did that <laughs> <laughs> i climbed into a military installation <laughs> i actually like too when i visit different places and some of them have a journal for the visitors mm -hmm. i love flipping through those and seeing it's just so interesting to see how many people and from how many places have been in that place i'm standing at that exact moment yes that you'd never guess so it's really good at the cabins here of course right people quite often thanking the people that worked on the cabins and stuff right but you know you never know when this might be a joke you can be you can be in a city of 13 million and somebody finds out you're from canada or the chinese say canada but if you're if you're from canada and somebody say hey do you know jim it sounds <laughs> so ridiculous but you get talking a little bit and really the world is not very very big no. And many times, if you don't know Jim, you'll know somebody that knows Jim or Jim's relative. It's pretty cool. It is, yeah. The world isn't as big as we, we like to think it is, no. I think. No, and that's that's where we're supposed to be all taking care of it. Like sometimes, you know, of course, uh, not to pick on Filipinos, but like in the Philippines, a lot of times when there's a bridge, that's where people throw their garbage out of their vehicle or, you know, if an animal dies. Of course, the riverbeds are all dried up except the rainy season, but... Uh, yeah, just people will ask, like, if you're in a place where they throw garbage, would you throw the garbage? And go, no. Like, you know, just because they're doing it doesn't mean that I'm going to do it. Right. But it's it's uh, what we kind of worry, you and I, we, but myself and others, I know uh, that we worry when people will come to Canada and they will discard garbage, etc. You know, so I think that there is a new norm. And, of course, we know we can unlearn. Right. Uh, so... Generally, the behavior is not not too bad, but you wouldn't want to see what it's like. You know, places where they just 
pile all the garbage at the end and they just burn it at the end of the day or, or whatever. It's yeah, pretty disgusting. Yeah. I think most people that come, they, they adopt the new. So that's that part's pretty good. Respect what there is and, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. treat it the same. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think for the future? Of course, in town, we don't want to, we don't want to get too political, but we have the <laughs> fire hall, we have, yeah. we have the sewage treatment plant, etc. So what, what do you see on the horizon for that? Well, me personally, I'm a supporter of a new fire hall. Mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be very fancy, over-the-top facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm actually a former dispatcher okay. for the fire department, and I did work in the basement of that fire hall that exists now. Right. And it didn't feel safe then in the 90s. And it's a small building. Right. It's quite small. With recent events, you know, with all the flooding and everything in the interior, the forest fires, I think about our propensity to possibly have a big earthquake. Mm-hmm sometime in the next 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. I know that Powell River is going to be on our own for quite some time if something big happens. Yes. You've seen it in the big city centers. So us here on our own, landlocked, I think we need to make sure that we've got something good in place so that taken care of as far as that goes. <laughs> so, of course, uh, um, a lot of people will say, of course, for wildfires, then that's the BC Forest Service or whatever. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's related to the fire hall, maybe not, but I would like to see it get less complicated to use volunteers. And yeah. and I know I know that there's certain groups here, you know, that have been doing something for so long or whatever, but if we can do community stuff, I did quite a few things in Squamish and the council at that time was not so open to them not having the brainstorm. So if you showed up with five thousand signatures and twenty six service clubs, etc saying, look at this is what we want and we can do this and, and here's the setup, the three stage stages of it. And sometimes they would take it wrong and they'd say, Well, why didn't you come to us? And you know, you could have went to fifteen parks and recreation meetings and stuff like that. Right. So I think that they should find a way for the volunteers to be able to do something mm-hmm. so that, that way they feel part of the community. And then of course it takes some pressure off. Right. Right. So it gets also gets away from us against them or whatever. Steering away from the fire hall because that would have to be somebody that's uh, licensed etc but there's a lot of things that could be done working with the unions and say hey like this you're not losing jobs these volunteers can do it it'll happen if they don't do it it will never happen right try to get some of that rolling maybe with a new council and if somebody wants to step up to the plate and say hey i'll i'll organize volunteers to do stuff i think they might be open to that i saw recently that uh, the regional district was approached by rotary with the same idea yes for upkeep i think at the cemetery yes i know it can be a little complicated dealing with union contracts and jobs and and trying to figure that out but definitely having more volunteers involved and and that ownership you get in your community too when you do those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know the fire department's always looking for people to help with the broom busting. Right. That's a big thing people can help with too. Yes. So do you think if people approached approached council and or other clubs, Cindy had, had said to me um, one time, like, because Paws and the Bomb Squad, it's the old boys club. And, you know, this, she said, well, just start your own, which is a, which is a good way to look at it. Not to do their work, but to do something. Because I, I call myself a freelancer. So I've volunteered in many schools. And, and you only have to go to a board of education office in a poor country and you say, hey, if you need some help or whatever. But there's so many things that you can do as freelance. Right. Even in our town here. And of course, the, the guy that gets lots of kudos and good to him is the, the guy that walks along Joyce. Uh, not too proud to be picking up the stuff with his little pincher that he's got there. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of freelance stuff that you would do. Uh, of course, my friends or my wife know I try to do quite a bit of it. And uh, so, like Cindy said, you could start your own. Maybe that's a little bit too regulated for a spontaneous person. And uh, you mean I would have to make sure that I'm here like in a month or something like that? <laughs> uh, but you could do the freelance yeah. and and you know and try and encourage the kids. So the like for my daughter, of course, they did face painting with the girl guides, whatever. There's lots of things that they could do as volunteers and get something. And you know, not to say too loud, if you have a 12 year old girl or something, like maybe after 12, all of a sudden they start going like, "Wow, look at that cute baby." Mm. It's not about themselves, right. and it's like, and and then that's when they're giving you the sign that hey. 
they want to give back to these small children. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, and then they get to see the children so excited for something that they did for them. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go back to starting your own thing. Mm-hmm. Which is a valid idea. I think what I find sometimes can be a problem in this community is that there's too many people starting their own thing when something's already going, though. And I agree that it would be better if it was easier to find ways to sign up with the groups that already exist, if maybe they were more welcoming or easier to figure out Mm -hmm. how you join. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had that recently. There was a, a society that I was interested in joining, and I'm having a heck of a time finding information online on how to do it. So I had to reach out to the people that I know that are involved. Right. And I'm lucky that I'm in a position that I would know who the people are. But I know if you're new to town, you're not going to know who those people are, who to reach out to, or how to go about doing that. So I feel like communication is definitely an issue and um, accessible information so that people do know who to contact. Well, if we look at the the Ukraine, you know, because I'm not just locally involved in politics, I try, I try to, but uh, I would just even ask my Chinese friends, what do you think about Ukraine, Russia? This was like two months ago before, you know, when they were just lining the soldiers up on the border. One of the first messages was, uh, oh, that president of Ukraine gasses all his own people, etc. So that told me that the Communist Party is letting the Russian propaganda come in and, and freely flow around their social media platforms just so that she could say, well, it's not an invasion, you know, these kind of things, and it's the West against them, so, you know. But just having that influence from Russia being allowed into China uh, was very disappointing, but not surprising. So say for here, we don't want a disaster, but I know that if there was a disaster, this would give the people a chance to shine and step up and sort of put these things, the differences between them, put that aside for help. And so I think that that's in most places in Canada. So not um, not that I'm wishing that on the community, but it's not necessarily really bad for community. And of course, a lot of people argue even about war. War provides jobs, et cetera, et cetera, not sort of nonsensical. Right? But uh, if you look at a lot of people, whether it's name change uh, or whatever in locally, mm-hmm. of course, most of us are so disappointed, embarrassed, heartbroken of the past. Yeah. That's, a, that's a given, right? So the other things, whether they could be tweaked out or whatever, I don't know. But a lot of people, of course, are sympathetic to the Ukraine. And you always have to be able to see the both sides of it. Mostly that comes from knowing I have several Russian friends. I have friends in so many countries and I can get the nitty gritty most of the time from them. Not necessarily it's the gospel, but you can see what they're being influenced by yeah and then make that up here we don't often get that in Powell river we're just this little community here yeah but uh if something bad did happen people would step up yeah right not that we want that but yeah. it'd be be a way to draw strength for the community actually i feel really bad for the russians for the most part mm-hmm. because a lot of them you know like you said they're being fed propaganda they don't really know the truth of what's happening in ukraine and so well, you know, they're victims themselves my wife has so many years of university and and uh, she say she says you know you westerners so many of you have the gift of the gap but you don't get to use that gift of the gab unless you have the paperwork to get you in the door. And uh, so when you do look at the poor countries and say like Papua New Guinea, when, when I was there, one of the number one killers was diarrhea because mm-hmm. people stopped feeding their children. And and even in the mountainous, so very mountainous country, uh, because somebody three generations ago drowned in the in the river, so they don't go down to the river. Mm-hmm. So the villages would be up on this uh, up on this bank, and just a little fenced-in area, and all the nude kids with runny noses, with all the chicken poo and pig poo and dog poo and the mud, and but they don't use that fresh water that's running down because somebody had drowned a couple of generations ago. Right. So that's all in the education. So when you see those countries, have to be careful when you say who's behind and who's not, because when we use progress, it's um, you have to use that loosely. Yeah. So a lot of times those countries can be 50 years behind in the thinking. And even in the simple stuff like don't go outside without clothes on, you'll get a cold. Or drink warm water because it's, you know, it's healthy for you. Or have a nap. You know, so, so much of China shuts down from 12 to 2, 2 p.m. Because 
all the small places they're all having sleeps so that's the thing when people are thinking about the how we're viewed by other cultures even they will like a criminal leader if the criminal leader like got his buddies to steal all the land off the backers of that government and or the opposition and then give it to all the poor people then they're a hero and so nobody's thinking that hey it wasn't their land there's a lot of those uh scenarios in in the different countries right well, thank you so yeah. much for coming on and, and chatting and sharing your stories because okay. it's been very informative for me and interesting. Well, thanks for the open invitation there. No problem. And I'm really glad I don't know how to rock climb. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining me in the studio, Ian. I'm certain we only touched the surface on what has clearly been a very adventurous lifetime for you so far. If you are interested in reading about Ian's travels, check out his blog at itodmac.com dot blogspot.com that's i t o d d m a c dot b l o g s p o t dot com or if you'd like to connect with Ian regarding a volunteer opportunity that he may be interested in you can also connect with him on Facebook thanks once again for listening until next time this is Aaron Reed thanks for listening to coastal currents with Aaron Reed we hope you enjoyed this episode for more information about the podcast, visit www.coastalcurrents.ca or follow us on Facebook at Coastal Currents with Aaron Reed. If you'd like to submit a topic or join the conversation as a guest, email Aaron at coastalcurrentswithaaron at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.